Welcome to Writers' Festival Radio. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival. We're broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin Street, and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. Today, we're bringing you a conversation and some poetry. Our host is Nina Jane Dristek. Nina is a poet, writer, and performer based here in Ottawa and one of the co-founders of Riverbed Reading Series. She was shortlisted for the 2020 Bronwyn Wallace Award for Poetry, writes collaborative poetry with Seven, and performs sound poetry. Nina's guest is experimental poet Sarah Burgoyne. Her second collection, Because the Sun, which thinks with and against Camus' extensive notebooks and the iconic outlaw film Thelma and Louise, was published by Coach House Books in April. Her first collection, Saint Twin, was a finalist for the A.M. Klein Prize in Poetry and was shortlisted for the Relit Award. We begin with a taste of the poetry. Here's Sarah Burgoyne. The whole time the sun. When we get out of the car, we stare at each other without blinking. It was this burning, which I couldn't stand anymore, that made me move forward. The sun on our upturned faces dries the last of the water trickling into our mouths. All we can feel are the symbols of sunlight crashing on our heads and, indistinctly, a dazzling spear flying up in front of us. Pain makes us pay attention. We watch our bodies. Take a closer look at the world. What hurts? The day, already bright with sun, hit us like a slap in the face. Thanks, Sarah. Um, so I was wondering if you could, so you take the starting point of the book um, on this piece, which opens the book from Camus, um, mm-hmm. sort of explore the sun. So I wondered if you could start by talking about, it says in your afterward, this project started like years ago. So I'm just curious how it came about. Yeah, so I read L'Etranger in French and in English when I was 18, I was forced to in school. And when, whenever the sun like hit me in the eyes, since I've read that book, I always think about that scene of Merceau on the beach, um, shooting, you know, this random stranger. And it really made me think about um, heat and what heat does and the relentlessness of being too hot And, you know, I grew up in a climate that was temperate, like I grew up in Vancouver. So I never really experienced heat unless I traveled. And now living in Montreal, I do experience it. But in, you know, it's it's hard to sleep. It's impossible. It changes your personality, you know, like it's this kind of um, effect that uh, makes us different than what we normally are. And I saw a parallel there between heat and violence and the way that violence can be somewhat ambient and like Merceau, you know, we can absorb it and then direct it at a stranger or someone, you know, that we, that really is innocent. Um, And so what I started doing, because I was thinking about violence a lot at this time in my life, I started this book five years ago at Banff. Um, I started, they have this like amazing little library there. I don't know if you know it, but Um, They had all of Camus' notebooks, which was beautiful. Obviously not 
original notebooks, but you know, the translated ones in English and I was reading them in English, but um, I scoured them for every instance in which Camus references the sun because I was interested in how he wrote about it outside of the book. And I was curious about his obsession with it and it does show up a ton. And one line really struck me um, and I've never forgotten it, which was the, sorry, the real climate of tragedy is the heat on the keys, not the night. And, you know, it, it spoke to what I was thinking about a lot, which isn't, which is, you know, we often associate darkness and the night and film noir like this, that is what we associate with impending violence and doom. But Camus was suggesting that it's something totally different. And, you know, it's, I find that to be true. And also just, I was interested in how pervasive heat is, you know, when you're in the night, day is coming, but when you're stuck in the heat wave, there's really no relief. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it changes your attitude. Like <laughs> I can't, I, yeah, Ottawa is similar climate to Montreal. So there's always been that like, that oppressive heat that we get sometimes in the summer. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very. <laughs> it's brutal if you don't have air conditioning, right? And I yeah. feel like a lot of people in our circles ourselves, I don't know about you, but you know, I don't have air conditioning and it is hard to sleep. It's like. Yes, no room. air conditioning now, so I'm very. <laughs> <laughs> a luxury. <laughs> it, is, it is a luxury, it is a luxury. But like, yeah, other, especially like other places that get tight all the time. And yeah. I think, yeah, and violence is like that thing you can't, like sometimes we don't see it or like mm -hmm. it's always there and we don't see it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested because, well, like, we do a poetry writing studio together. And the other day you were talking about um, the catastrophe um from uh Walter Benjamin is that right mm -hmm. that sounds a lot like that sounds really similar to what he was saying about the like the catastrophe is always there I don't know you you were the quote so what was right it? yeah he was he, he said it's in German so there's a couple different translations but um basically he was saying that catastrophe is things going on as they always have mm -hmm. or catastrophe is the status quo is the other translation that I know but yeah it's this kind of like relentless sameness mm -hmm. and of course like Benjamin's talking about um you know political climate and economy and you know he was writing right at the beginning of um you know the Nazi uprising and so it was for him this tragedy of like ongoing violence I guess as well but mm -hmm. also the ongoing like what makes it possible for that violence to constantly flourish Mm -hmm. is that well yeah it's much more the political climate but mm -hmm. I don't know I guess I'm thinking about Camus quote more as a metaphor than like mm -hmm. there is literally like the oppressiveness of the sun but also like we think we always want the sun or like that it's always it's the best time or the safest right. time and it's not necessarily always true yeah absolutely and for Camus like growing up in Algeria as well like it's just it's a totally different climate than Paris you know it's not uh mm -hmm. it's so for him, writing about the sun was really, it, he, it was just such a present part of his life, you know? Mm -hmm. And do you feel like now that you've written the book about the sun and you've gone through it, is the sun still blinding you? Or like, is it, mm -hmm. has this like worked out your relationship with the sun? <laughs> 
I mean, well, we're coming out of winter. So for me, you know, even to this morning, I went out with a friend to sit outside in the sun and, and we just, it was windy, so it was cold, but the sun provided this glimmer of warmth. And that was, you know, I feel like you're so thirsty for it after a winter. Um, but I know by August, I'll be feeling like I need a break or at least like, you know, filling up the bathtub with ice or whatever to make myself cool down. But yeah, in terms of just, I mean, the sun was really a metaphor for me in the book. And yeah, I was thinking my dad also lives in Florida. So whenever I would go down there, I would be confronted with this insane heat that I'd never experienced before and feeling changed by it. Like I do feel like, you know, I don't, maybe it's just me, but I feel like when we're overheated, our personalities shift a little bit. Like it's this almost this mania or something. Um, but yeah, and I think about, I mean, I started writing this before the Me Too movement and and part of the violence that I was considering at the beginning of the process of writing the book was the violence a lot of women I knew were experiencing from powerful men usually and receiving like these awful emails or receiving, you know, kind of threatening um threatening messages and also being stalked. And, and I was thinking a lot about that as well. Um, but I also, you know, that led me to the Thelma and Louise film as well, which had also that kind of violence towards women that is ubiquitous. But in that, in that case, Louise retaliates, but it doesn't help her because the, the legal system is so geared against women who survive assault like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was thinking, like I were well, I didn't rewatch all of Thelma and Louise, but I watched a bunch. I rewatched a bunch of clips online, so it's been a while since I've watched that film. <laughs> like, there is so much sun in that film. Like, yeah. in the desert, it's clearly very, like, really warm. Um, mm -hmm. And they're just like, there's so many like beautiful, beautifully shot scenes of like driving through a desert. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was wondering, like, and then you have like if you get a copy of the book, which you should pick up because it's really beautifully put together. There's like, there's the gunshot through the pages, like a bit, yeah, a visualization of a gunshot through the pages. And it's kind of like this black, but it's also like a black sun. It's sort of, it, or that's how I was reading it. It sort of like haunts, haunts the narrative or like takes out like chunks of the narrative and sort right. of disrupts what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm curious based on what you said about like how the heat infects us or like can impact us um how you think about like the sun and the heat in that like chunk of the narrative in three women which is called three women right yeah so i started researching around the same time um when i was reading Camus' notebooks i was looking into a genre that i don't know if it's an official genre but someone wrote about it and i wish i could remember his name right now film soleil so it's like film noir but all of the violence takes place under like the hottest sun. So the sun is always at the highest point. And if you, you know, in Thelma and Louise, there's, there is nighttime and like there's different, you know, parts of the day, but the most, I would say the most important scenes after, again, as this kind of symbol of, of this eye watching them try to escape, but also, you know, we know that they can't escape. Um, 
because what they're ultimately trying to escape is this legal system. And even the man who tries to help them, the detective, like his hands are tied ultimately in helping them. So they they go and they're slowed down by Louise not wanting to go through Texas because that's the site of her trauma. So that hole that I cut out in the middle of the poem was really citational of the sun and also um, the bullet wound that, you know, spoiler alert, they shoot Harlan. <laughs> Louise shoots Elma's assailant. Um, but yeah, it's also this kind of eclipse symbol because it sit switches from like a blank hole to a black hole and kind of back and forth. And then the final one, which I had this like panic right before the book was published that people wouldn't understand. The final black hole was like the shot through Harlan, but I think it's kind of obvious. <laughs> Again, like you said, it's been a few years, people probably know the movie. <laughs> or if they don't, they can just find clips on YouTube. So yes, it is. <laughs> it's also there. They're great, great summaries. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, Anyways, I, and if you have seen it, it's interesting because it's like not the whole story, but it's like a kind of a retelling of the very specific scene. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I mean, going kind of back to Camus um, and sort of your work in general is like you have so much strangeness in your poetry. And like, so I read Saint Twin like several years ago when it came out, which mm -hmm. was in 2016, 15. I think it was 2015, actually. Yeah. 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 So Saint Twin was came out in 2015. And like, it is also, it is a strange collection, which I like. I just say that in like the best way. I take it as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's also this sort of strangeness that runs, runs through the narratives in these poems here. Um, and I thought maybe first we could read from them. I'm going to come back to Thumbnails, I promise. <laughs> um, but so this is where I thought maybe you could read uh, from, oh gosh, the 28 to 31, which I'm forgetting. The oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, what you have. What you have. Yeah. Um, yeah. From like the sun <laughs> on page 28. So like who will okay. I read? Perfect. I also think you might be right. I think it was 2016 actually. I, I could probably just like look at the <laughs> They've yeah. done it. <laughs> I'm sort of embarrassed that I can't remember, but 2016. It's 2016. <laughs> Time passes. Yeah. <laughs> to quote everyone in the pandemic, what is time now? <laughs> the past feels further back than it ever has. So okay, I will read. So this poem was actually, it used to be called Um, How Do You Like What You Have? Mm. I don't know um if that is interesting, but it's interesting to me a little bit. So I'm, I'll start from this sun. Who will I write to as an alien and snow out on the street? If I'm not ready in time, but meant it. I walk the busy street to the busy line and the sign I pass and the tiger, tiger scrawled in the sill of the tram. Tiger, tiger, we both knew the song. So the day stuck. The sign is primary the sign is primary yellow. Its letters are outlines, modern like the mural we made of Sundays and cigarettes beside the recipe all along. On the sixth, I saw several great haircuts. I bought a silver shirt, a pink shirt and a polka dot. I took a bath and did not wash my hair. 
I listened to Italian and saw someone read in Italian. I heard German and Spanish. I humored, I made pleasant. I felt the pain of the past week and I doubted. I bought a book signed to Harold. I evaded a question. I sprung. I saw a silver watch face. I showed off a cover. I said I had a nice time. I answered a question. I thought about aliens. I read about sketches of demons or aliens. I thought about the Western imagination, which is severe. I thought about how the Western imagination considers aliens as demons. I unpacked stone from a plastic bag. I filled my mouth with colored sugar. I thought about a child. I was terse. I was overwhelmed by words and poor eyesight. I thought about asking when distracted by the body. I thought about the body and its distractions. I dropped the spoon and the lid, but not the content. I thought it's a long one and will be long, being here now and alone here. To pay a man for my safety today, I had to turn around. A stencil of your daydream, I bought it for dreaming. There is so much to say of your goddess venue. My misunderstanding is the organization of the wound's ingredients. You can watch the full thaw. Can't offer any more to the misery of being a body in the misery of being anything but a body. And the balance and forcing I am to remember what day it was. The flowers died in the morning I woke to discomfort. Having wanted my case separate, my encasing untouched and the retaliation of all that. And what did you think you would find there? And what do you want? The powerful imaginary won't leave me and new birds are coming and I've reached the corrugation. You've been impressed by the gimmicks and I hold them to my heart. You've been let down and I hold it in my palm. You've been gone and I hold it to my eye. You've been in the long line and made aware. I will take you back to my ship. The two owls with their backs turned are made of tiny seashells. The cat's shiny shoulders are the pink, which is the light against pink. I eat sullenly. I drink just a bit of coffee. The flowers sicken and there's shame here and disappointment that simplicity is only a myth of one's bearing toward repetition and stone. Come, I will take you back to my ship. Thanks. What did you say the title was before? Oh, it was, how do you like what you have? And now it's just what you have. Yeah, to sort of um, the poems in that section, like there's one called what is, whoops. And uh, there's another one called what was oh, and so this one yeah. a line with the others was called we switched to the title um yeah you yeah yeah um so what i was one is going to say about that one is like i mean there's well the section we started from was like from the alien section which sort of mm. had this strangeness there's also all these sort of like the experience of the world is so strange like the pink with the cat and the mm like just seeing the world, which is, I mean, very Camus in some ways. So mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know. I was wondering, like, do you consider like poetry of strangeness, poetry of the absurd? Is that something when you think about what you're doing with poetry? Is that like a weird statement to throw on your work? Because revisiting it again, I was like, this is, I don't know, that's what stands out to me the most. And I like, like, that speaks to me. Like, I love that. <laughs> the strangeness, you mean? Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think I have a, a complex that's a basic complex. Like, I think that I, my poetry is very normal and that <laughs> I am very normal. <laughs> and when I tell this to my friends and they mock me. Um, so I, it's, I love hearing that it's strange because I feel proud of that. But I, I also, I think what is interesting to me about poetry, especially and like how I came to, to poetry was its ability to defamiliarize. And I had a hunch about that before I read, you know, the Russian formalists who were really invested in defamiliarization. But um, for me, it was just so much like I was delighted in the world around me being made strange through someone's view and whether that be through images or through syntax or um, like breaking grammatical rules and syntactical rules like that to me is the true delight of of poetry and also you know like even as like a teacher and I think I've said this in poetry studio before like I teach at a college and and sometimes the students will write things that they don't mean to write in a very strange way. And it's because they're rushing through their assignments and they're tired and overworked. Um, but those moments delight me so much. And I actually wrote a whole essay about this one line in one of my students' papers, which was, um, she wrote, what has happened will always remain happened. Mm, I and that. I thought that was so profound and beautiful, but I think it was just an error. Um, <laughs> but I just couldn't like it was kind of like a song stuck in my head for a whole week. I kept thinking about that. And so for me, it's like I I can't be interested unless something is like I can't be interested in a text unless it's making something new again or not new, but strange, maybe is the right word, like you said. And I don't think you need to be an experimental writer to do that necessarily. Like I find, um, you know, there are a lot of writers who do that and write imperfectly, you know, uh, sincere prose that isn't, you know, playing any games or trying to be weird on the, you know, surface. But um, yeah, I'm really in interested in how, and maybe that's why I was drawn to Camus as well, because I kind of, I, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with him, but he made something really strange, right? Like he he made the sun in The Stranger really, really strange to me all of a sudden in a way that I hadn't thought about before. And I think that's probably why it stuck with me the way it did. Totally. Yeah, I mean, anyone who can make something that sticks that much <laughs> for that long of time is doing, um, yeah. doing something. And something uh, so big too, like the sun, you know? Like I feel like, the sun and the moon are sort of off limits <laughs> for writers in some ways, because it's what more can we possibly say? So whenever someone takes something like that and makes it strange, I feel really impressed. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think those are like, those are the things that stand out for me the most as well. 
Um, and I wanted to, like, on that note, I wanted to read something from St. Twin, which I... Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, anyways, I was going through the book again, and like, I fold the page corners of books, which means I can always find poems again. Um, so I was doing a write, work, writing exercise the other week and going through this, and then this one stuck out, stuck out to me, and I think, yeah, made me think about this book a lot. So I am no more than a secretary of the invisible thing. The world is sometimes with us, and it is. Green blades fawning round your beautiful white boots. Presence makes what? Absence. Absence. <laughs> um, and I felt like the sun is like, especially thinking of the Thelma and Louise poem where there's like the black and white and the absence and the presence. Right. Um, and the sun's like presence and absence. Um, and it, that poem is so absurd and yet, and most of your book, I find I find it's or strange, but like the most real scenes or poems in your book are those Thelma and Louise ones, not just because they're based on like a real film, which is itself a fiction, right. but like what is happening in that scene is like so, so real. Mm. Um, and going back to what you're talking about, like about violence, like that women face every day um, and how that like sits within the book. So I wondered if, I don't know, you'd thought about that when we were putting this collection together, like sort of these experiences that may or may not have happened to you that surround it that are sort of strange. And then this mm. very, and it's like a long prose poem as well. So it's compared to the rest of your work, which is slightly more sparse or like very narrow columns. Um, it really contrasts it, but also speaks to that absence presence at the same time. Right. Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I feel like I could write a dissertation on that question or like I need a few years um, to think about it. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I've always been like, ever since I encountered like Derrida in my undergrad and like the ideas of presence and absence. And I, you know, I know that people, like a lot of people hate talking about Derrida or roll their eyes or like, you know, he, he has like a love him or hate him kind of following. But one thing that really struck me about his ideas, and of course, you know, these are not his ideas necessarily. He just popularized um, the presence-absence dichotomy and, and how it's always complicit, right? So it's never, you can't have one without the other. And and day and night as well. Like, and, and when I um, like teach it at college to the students, like, I, I always give them the example of like, we wouldn't even have the words day and night if we just had day or if we just had night. So there's this <clears throat> connection to naming um, that comes with presence and absence. And and yeah, the thinking about presence and absence in my own experiences around writing this and, and um, like the Thelma Louise plot also like, I was thinking, I guess I was thinking a lot about what we're told and like what we're asked to believe by people and 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 how you know even the presence of certain um suggestions can alter the way you see the world and alter the way that you um understand absence this sounds pretty vague i think but but you know like one one thing i was trying to get at with louise and why i brought in sarah ahmed um, into that section was just the 
like for her to, you know, kill this man, like Thelma's assailant, after he, you know, was a distance away, Thelma was safe. Um, but she shot him anyways, you know, and killed him. It was the presence of her own pain and her history of pain, which she brought into that moment. So, you know, the backstory being that she had also been assaulted before. And so Harlan became for her, not this person, but this representation of her own pain. And um, what one thing Sarah Ahmed says is that emotion is something that happens between us. It's not something that we harbor necessarily, but it's always, you know, between two people. And I thought that was fascinating. And also just how, you know, that really spoke to that moment of the film where Louise feels compelled to just annihilate this source of pain, um, which was really about her more than it was about Thelma. And so how, you know, the absence of her assailant, the presence of Thelma's assailant, like the presence of, of Louise's pain that comes up between her and Harlan, like to me, that was just a really interesting, um, yeah, just a really complex and interesting moment in the film, thinking about what emotion does to us and how it moves between us and how it becomes present and also how it becomes absent. And then it comes back to Merceau on the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Merceau is so interesting because he's this, you know, like he doesn't emote very much, you know, like, and he, he, kind of refuses to emote and, you know, the famous first line of the stranger, like, Maman died today, right? So, and he doesn't really feel anything um, leading him to this moment, like leading him through his whole relationship with Marie and like not really feeling anything. And then to this man on the beach who he claims in his trial to have shot because this, because of the sun. So echoes du soleil is, is what he says. And it's, it's absurd, right? Like it's, so the sun in my view, and this is a total, just my own reading of that book is that the sun is this symbol of the violence and the emotion that Merceau, you know, can't connect to, but is like being absorbed by him despite Mm -hmm. his efforts to stave it off. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I like, I feel like there's so many, in a good book of poetry, I like when there's like all these connections that are going around it. And I felt that way about Because the Sun, for cool. sure. I mean, that's, I think that is like, for me, that is like a successful piece as well, um, or successful part of it. Um, so yeah, and I, I mean, also, cause like I know some of your interests and stuff as well. Um, and like mm-hmm. that poem that I read from the, from St. Twin, has like the white boots, which I always see as cowboy boots in the game. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Louise, you get to explore your love. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just Dolly Parton actually standing there. <laughs> yeah, and I know that you're like a music fan. And I was sort of wondering like, what do you see as the relationship? Like for you, what is the relationship between music um, and poetry or art and poetry because uh, you've talked about it before but like your cover is a piece of art that you you got from a friend I forget the name mm-hmm. yeah Joanie Tremblay yeah. yeah um yeah so I sort of was wondering like and then you're writing about a film you're writing about a novel um like for you what are those connections yeah That's, yeah I mean I didn't even think about that until you just said it <laughs> but, um 
Yeah, I guess I'm always, I mean, I, you know that I'm very interested in collaboration and, and like connection. So connection between different art forms, like, um, you know, the cover, Joanny's uh, painting became the cover of this book, but also um, this, the manuscript, I sent her an early version of the manuscript and it became um, many paintings that she did that were inspired by the book. So she has a whole exhibit now called um, this whole, the whole time the sun uh, that was just showing in New York. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, her work is stunning. I feel like I get just as many comments about the cover as I do about the contents of the book. Um, and I've just always been really excited about collaborating and, and connecting, making connections between things that, I, you know, seem a little random. So even when I started this project, like the Thelma Louise section wasn't meant to be part of the Merceau Camus uh, manuscript. It was this whole other thing that I was doing kind of as a joke. And I feel like that's another entrance for me into projects that usually take off is starting them without being really serious about it and thinking that it's just kind of funny. Because, you know, I was at Banff and I, you know, when you're at when you're there as a writer, you have many, many long days of figuring out what to do in your tiny little hotel room. And I just thought it'd be funny to write out a movie. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I wrote out actually before this one, I wrote out this film called Plan Soleil, which is a French film uh, mm. that uh, was made into an American film called Purple Noon. But I, I just wrote out everything that happened in it, well, not everything, but as much as I wanted to. And and um, it was supposed to be part of this manuscript, but it kind of detracted from the Thelma Louise section. But with, but with Thelma and Louise, like I have written out way more of the film than what made it into this manuscript. So it was, I was thinking about it being its own book, but it just became this, like, I, it, I felt like a character in a Borges story because it became this like endless project. And every day I would calculate how much time it would take me to finish. And so originally it would take me like an hour to write out eight minutes of the film. I was like, okay, well that's manageable. The next day it was like an hour for four minutes of the film. And the next day it was an hour for one minute of the film. And then I realized that I could just pause the film and write thousands of pages on the one image. And so it became this like, project where I was like, I don't even know if this is sustainable physically because I'm just hunched over and trying to write as fast as I can. Um, but yeah, so I think I just feel like there's a lot of energy between different art forms. And you originally um, asked me about music, I guess. So I, I love music and I love long, long songs. <laughs> And I love trying, like, I'm not a fiction writer, so it's hard for me to understand what the arc is or, you know, like how to build one, I guess. Like, I can understand what it is when I see it, but how to make one that isn't totally predictable and cheesy is is hard for me. Um, so I often turn to music and think about, like, the, a symphonic movement and, like, the pacing of a symphony as a way to shape a poem where it, it the tempo shifts. And it has, like, this kind of, um, slow build at the beginning to something a little bit more intense, but then also kind of can exit in a way that doesn't detract from what came before, but sort of has a summative effect. So I've, I've been practicing with that a bit and it's fun. I love doing it. Um, but yeah, it's someday I would like to write 
um, a novel or <laughs> a short story where I don't murder my protagonist, which is just my, uh, I don't know why I do it. I, just, I think I just don't know what to do with them. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> you <got it. laughs> you, I mean, you manage the long poem very well. Like this book is mostly long. There's a couple of shorter pieces. Right. They're mostly long, long poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah. And your first book, well, had many short poems also, like the table of contents. I was really looking at <laughs> crazy. It's like, actually one poem is like, ev- like, 20 pages that are spread throughout the whole book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different way of playing with structure, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess I wanted to, maybe we're kind of coming to the end, probably closer, mm-hmm. but um, in terms of like experimentation, so we've, I don't know, it's been, I feel like since, well, we started working together before the pandemic and doing mm-hmm. like sort of experimental writing, but and then since the pandemic happened, I've been doing more experimental writing with people and I've seen more of it around. And maybe that's just the virtue of like, you start doing something and then you see it everywhere. I right. <laughs> so I don't know if they're connected, um, but I was wondering in terms of like, we've talked about strangeness and like these connections you were just sort of talking about. Um, what, like through poetic experimentation, like, is that something you've always done? Is that something you just bring into your practice more recently? Um, because you have an Ulipo piece, which I'll get you to read from, um, maybe to close out this interview. But like, how does that come to you? How did that come into your writing practice? Like experimentation? Yeah. And- yeah. Instead of just like, because you could just like sit down or like write. A, some people just sit down and they can write a poem. Some people yeah. like to have an experiment. Some people hate reading experiments. I don't know. <laughs> just right. everyone's yeah. relationship with it is different. So I was curious about yours. That's a great question. So. I mean, I started writing in high school, I guess, and it was not very experimental. It was very sentimental. Um, but, and then I did, uh, I studied with like uh, Tim Lilburn and Lorna Crozier and Stephen Price and Carl Funkin at UVic, who were the poets there. Um, and I really felt that my writing was going this way that is, I mean, that nature is, a huge part of my writing still, I think, but I, I think I was trying to mimic the sound of a lot of, um, you know, more kind of solemn Canadian writers who write about land and who have this very sacred relationship to it, but one that it never felt real to me or something and, and um, or real for me. Those poems felt real, at, you know, in terms of like, I think they're powerful and important, but um, it was only when I came to Montreal that I started feeling like, oh, writing can be a bit stranger. And also it was part of gaining confidence in trusting the risks that I was taking with my writing. And like Stuart Ross was a big influence on me when, you know, he came to Concordia and met us, like a few of us writers there and was like, let's see some of your poems, Sarah. And I sent him a bunch and there was like, you know, maybe six solemn nature poems and then one like kind of wacky one. And he was like, oh, that one's like, great. Can I publish that? And and I felt really validated because I thought, you know, oh, that was also my favorite one, but I thought it was a bit too weird. Mm. Um, And then just being in a city like Montreal where there are tons of writers doing a lot of different things, um, I felt just much more immersed in different stylistic choices and um, 
roads to take. So I, yeah, I think that experimenting, like another workshop that was really influential was Gail Scott's workshop. And Gail, you know, she's an experimental fiction writer, but she would bring us Bernadette Meyer's prompts a lot to our workshops and ask us to do these crazy things like write a, you know, a soothing novel in 12 short chapters. And I wrote a poem that, um, that, you know, actually got nominated for a prize for, from that experiment. And I started to realize that I actually do quite well with um, constraints. Yeah, the poem that I wrote, I was embarrassed because I had forgotten the name of the poem that I wrote. It's <laughs> called The Story of a Leaf. <laughs> um, but yeah, I felt, I feel that Gail's uh, influence was really important for me as well in terms of just recognizing that these constraints can be really freeing and let us do things that we don't normally do. And then I think it was Lisa Robertson at Banff said, um, collaboration is where it's at. I think that was the exact quote. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> let's try it. And and when I started collaborating with people, it just, it was so magical because everyone feels energized, everyone's excited and, and you're, you're constantly just in the process of defamiliarizing, which led me to Fred Moten who said that basically the, the process is what is exciting about collaboration and poetry. Like, and sometimes the poem is the collaborative process, not necessarily the product. And, and yeah, I just, I feel like I've been lucky to have a lot of people in my life defamiliarizing what the poem even is and what the process of writing poetry even is. Really? And I think, yeah, and on that, before I get you to read the poem, just on that note of process, I think it's, I've seen some of you like, I've seen early drafts of, or like drafts of poems, and then I've read not the published versions. But it's like, I feel you were mentioning earlier, but you felt like your poetry is so normal. I think like, it seems like it sometimes starts that way, like whatever. And then I get your book and I'm like, it becomes so much stranger. <laughs> when you work on something, it seems like there's more of that process happening. So I think there is something in process that like the process of writing a poem is, is the actual poem more so than itself. Like even if you don't see it and whether it's alone or. I just drag it into the creepy forest of weirdness. And <laughs> what is this actually happening? Yeah. Um, so on that, I was wondering, maybe we could end with a reading of uh, More Deserts. Uh, <laughs> Jackpot. Sure, I would love to. Okay. Jackpot. I've never been to Jackpot, Nevada, but I intend to go panting. I can't tell if my neighbors can see me through their windows, and it bothers me. Can't live in a world without men, but that's not the point. I was married once, yes, and very rich. My daughter lives in Nevada. In Nevada, where the cacti get the shadows right. By my home is a big blue steeple. It looks strange, like a house water tower or mill. An eight-year-old threw dice to predict my future chaotic evil, just take a look at me. I pretended I was Anne Sexton once and read her work to a crowd. No, I do not hate my mother, but my daughter's far away. A fly walks the circumference of my leg, picks the shin. Unconsciousness is the sun 
burning my chest in which the dog cannot be stimulated to be awakened near the roof. I know I'll need to remove the legs to move the table. People get very busy with their excessive environmental heat and this includes me. I've never been to Jackpot, Nevada, but I intend to go panting. I can't tell if my nerves can see me through my wine and it bothers me. Can't live in a wound without manuals, but that's not the point. I was married once, yes, and very rich. My Don lives in Nevada, in Nevada where the cacti get the shapes right. By my honeysuckle is a big blue steeple. It looks strange, like a housewife, wave, or miracle. An eight-year-old threw dice to predict my game, chaotic evolution. Just take a look at me. I pretended I was Anne Sexton once and read her point to a crystal. No, I do not hate my motif, but my dawn is far away. A focus wanders the circumference of my legacy, picks the shin. Unconsciousness is the supermarket burning my childhood in which the domain cannot be stimulated to be awakened near the roof. I know I'll need to remove the legacy to move the taste. People get very busy with their excessive environmental hedges and this includes me. I've never been to Jackpot, Nevada, but I intend to go panting. I can't tell if the newcomers can see me through their wisdom and it bothers me. Can't live in a yard without a map, but that's not the point. I was married once, yes, and very rich. My dear lives in Nevada, in Nevada where the cacti get the shelter right. By my horse is a big blue steeple. It looks strange like a hunting weekend, traffic or a minister. An eight-year-old threw dice to predict my garment, chaotic excuse, just take a look at me. I pretended I was Anne Sexton once and read her polymer to a curve. No, I do not hate my mount, but my deer is far away. A folly wardrobes the circumference of my leisure, picks the shin. Unconsciousness is the supper burning my chocolate in which the donor cannot be stimulated to be awakened near the roof. I know I'll need to remove the liabilities to move the taxation People get very busy with their excessive environmental herbs, and this includes me. I've never been to Jackpot, Nevada, but I intend to go panting. I can't tell if my knights can see me through their withdrawals, and it bothers me. Can't live in a year without March, but that's not the point. I was married once, yes, and very rich. My death lives in Nevada. In Nevada, where the cacti get the shame right. By my hour is a big blue steeple. It looks strange, like humor, a weapon, or a mirror. An eight-year-old threw dice to predict my gaze, chaotic exhibition. Just take a look at me. I pretended I was Anne Sexton once and read her poetry to a cry. No, I do not hate my mountain, but my death is far away. A forest watches the circumference of my liberty, picks the shin. Unconsciousness is the sunlight burning my child in which the dolphin cannot be stimulated to be awakened near the roof. I know I'll need to remove the lessons to move the talent. People get very busy with their excessive environmental hell, and this includes me. Great. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you, Nina. 
That was Nina Jane Dristek in conversation with Sarah Burgoyne about her second acclaimed collection of poetry, Because the Sun. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and don't hesitate to recommend it to a friend. If you enjoy this podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. Your financial support will allow us to continue to bring you the world's most interesting authors and thinkers. As always, I want to thank you for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. It's always a good idea to buy a book. And of course, you can't go wrong supporting local independent booksellers. Our spring season runs through to the end of June, and it's all available online at writersfestival.org, so all you need to do to connect with some of the world's most acclaimed authors is click play. I want to thank the Ottawa Public Library, the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Carleton University, and the CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubé, Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm your host, Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.